morning. So we'll be reading from 1st Corinthians chapter 6 from the 12th verse. 1st Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Bless you. All things are lawful for me, but not, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and the God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sex sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And uh, God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that uh, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other thing is a person commits it's outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Are you not your own? For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The second reading for today will be from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. Good morning, everyone. Hope you are well. I, I see the wisdom in moving away slightly from the windows and the sun. Although it's so chilly this morning that I think I, I rather enjoy this warmth of gray space, personally. Right. Let me let me just adjust it quickly. Great. No, I, it's all right. Thanks. Um, it's, it's great to see, um, actually, it's great to see uh, some of you coming back from wherever you were, I think, from near or far countries. It's great to see you here um, at Grayspace this morning. Um, I may sound slightly distant because of uh, some kind of a glitch in a monitor or something, but, but, but I am here. So if, if you need to remind um, yourselves about that, you can actually look, look, um, um, look at, a, at a front. But hopefully this, um, this sound thing is not going to disturb us terribly this morning. Um, yes, Jedi mentioned, Jedi mentioned already and reminded us that we are, I think we are next to last Sunday in terms of the series on the particular theme of God, marriage, sexuality, agenda, the church. Um, and so well done, well done for hanging in there. You might have noticed that we have been sort of going slow and building each, each week uh, sort of slowly on, on the big foundations. Uh, and this is probably going to be the case with this Sunday. Some of the things will be familiar, 
for those of you who have been around uh, for the whole series, but each week there is going to be a sort of new emphasis and new application avenues that we are going to be pursuing. And so, so, so thanks, Jedi, for praying for us. Let God give us um, attention and energy, ability to focus this morning. Now, let me, let me begin with a question um, um, that's, that might seem slightly, slightly weird. So here is the question. What is your FOMO? Does anyone know what FOMO means? Fear of missing out. Some, some sh were shaking heads. Some instantly knew what it is. Fear of missing out. FOMO. What is your FOMO? What are you afraid of missing out on? Now, there are a lot of things that might be there. For some of us, it's, you know, we just like gadgets. We just like all things electronic. And it might be the case that we are constantly in FOMO on the next new gadget. So we are doing the tech, you know, we're doing the, the tech websites, tech news, gadget news, what's, you know, is there anything new out that I'm going to possibly be missing out? Um, maybe that's a trendy piece of clothes. You know, you're into fashion. You like all things fashion and clothes. You're, you're uh, in fear of missing out on, on the next new um, fashion item. Uh, actually, some are in a fear of missing out on all things political. They think they need to be all the time on top of the things politically so that they can, you know, talk um, uh, with, with their, I don't know, work colleagues and be on the same level and kind of be informed all the time. The same thing could be true for uh, Christians. On, on, you know, on, on a new um, theological book, the, the hot big topic or theological book. It's just on your fear of missing out on these things. As I say, there, there can be many, many different things. And we can be quite sure that in terms of this world and our surrounding culture, the ad industry will work very hard to create in you this FOMO, this fear of missing out. You are... Um, you're not going to be fully human if you are going to miss out on this or that thing. That is what the advertisement industry wants, uh, wants us to, to think and feel. Now, today, friends, we are going to be looking at another kind of FOMO. And if we have to talk about the, our culture and what our culture would like us to be um, afraid of missing out, ultimately... I think it's a FOMO on sex. Our culture wants us to create us a fear of missing out on sex. Uh, because it claims that human flourishing is all about sexual pleasure. That's why. As much as I can get it, as often as it is possible, um, to be fully human is to be sexually active. That is what our culture really wants us to think. And 
We already saw from the previous weeks, yes, sex indeed is important and it is profound. We saw that sex and sexuality are good. Sexuality plays central role in God's design and pattern for the procreative relationships between male and female. He has made us. He has made us as sexual beings. And we saw that sexuality is definitely for the marital union, having children and for sexual pleasure. But, but our culture takes sexual pleasure out of its context and it elevates it to the level of God. And it says to us, seek it, find it and be consumed by it or else you are not really fully human. What a lie. Fear or missing out on sex. Now, friends, it is easy, I think, to see the difficulty, right, in persuading someone to turn to Christianity. Why? The lack of sexual pleasure in the life of a single Christian is probably one of the most off-putting ideas for the non-Christians investigating the claims and promises of Jesus. Just think about it. But I suppose it is not all too easy for single Christians, for many of us themselves, right? Imagine, just imagine you are studying the book of Revelation, and we just had this reading. Um, and you clearly grasp from the study of Revelation that it prompts you to long for Jesus' second coming. His return will make all the sad and painful things become untrue. But at the same time, you catch yourself with a rather selfish thought. Well, maybe Jesus could come back after I get married and have experienced the joy of sex. We know that he can come back any day. But could he come maybe after? I get married. Well, the other day, Madara, my wife and I, we were doing the dishes after the family dinner. And as we were washing up, we were reflecting on the sermon series. And she asked me, well, how do you think we are doing? And I said, well, this summer we are going to be of age, 18 years of marriage. Can you believe it? We were so young and so stupid. What were we thinking? To which she replied, well, I bet you were thinking only about sex. <laughs> Madra didn't want me to share this embarrassing dialogue. But it's embarrassing just for me, isn't it? So it's okay. It's embarrassing just for me. I mean, I can't say it hadn't crossed my mind. And to be honest, I might have even been one of these silly boys who really would prefer Jesus coming back after I got married and had experienced sex. But that's only because no one, no pastor had told me or taught me about the ultimate purpose of my sexuality. 
Now, what about you? What about you? Are you are you living in FOMO on sex, fear of missing out on sex? It's not an easy question, isn't it? If yes, I bet you have listened to what our culture says for way too long. So we really need today, this morning, to come back and tune our ears to what God says to us. And God says, while sex is important and profound, as we already saw this, sex is only a trailer for the new creation. Again, you might have thinking, right, well, this is not a new thought, isn't it? I think we spoke, started to speak about that last week. We are kind of back to the same big idea, sort of square one. Temporary sexual pleasure here and now is just a foretaste of the everlasting pleasures which will be ours in the world to come. Sex is only a trailer for the new creation, for the real thing. It's like a movie trailer. Think about how movie trailers work. I think it, I mean, the movie trailer, isn't it? It's designed for you to want to go to see the real thing, to see the movie, to see the film. That's the sole purpose of one movie trailer. The picture, picture you have gone and seen the new action-packed Mission Impossible 12 or whatever it is with Tom Cruise, still remarkably fit, isn't he? Uh, um, And now imagine that you've seen this action-packed new movie and you're coming out of cinema and you are suddenly overwhelmed with this kind of regret that you have missed out on a trailer. I mean, isn't that totally silly? Isn't that ridiculous? To come, coming out of the movie, seeing the whole film, suddenly being really sad and overwhelmed that you haven't watched the trailer of it. And friends, I want us to see that it is exactly how we should think about sex. I'm not saying it is easy, but I'm saying that this is right. Do we honestly think we will be kicking ourselves for all the blissful eternity, which is just can't grasp it forever, that we have missed out on a few blissful moments here and now? I, I don't think so. I don't think we will be doing that. Let's take a look at a at the blissful eternity picture that John had painted to us. Turn back again to Revelation 21 and let's read it one more time. Let's read of the real thing that we all are expecting. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, on that day that we just read, no single Christians will be mourning the, the lack of sex in the first, on the first earth. Nor will the married Christians will mourn the end of sex in the new earth, because there will be no sex in the new creation. Instead, we all, all, everyone, will be enjoying the lasting, blissful union to which sex had pointed us here and now. But this time around, it will be a perfect, it will be a permanent union. There will be no death. There will be no mourning, no pain, no tears. We all will be enjoying the reality with none of the sad, none of the often negative effects of previous, let me dare to say, imitation. Sex is a trailer for heaven. It's an imitation of the real thing that we all are longing for. Now just think about for a moment, isn't that just the most amazing news for us and for us all? I think it's good news to those who will perhaps never enjoy sex. No one who's seen the film and we just saw it, we just read about it, will kick himself for missing out on the trailer. John has just shown us the, the picture of the real, real ultimate reality. It is good news to those who aren't enjoying sex in their marriage. And statistically, uh, there are quite a few of us. Maybe someone's discovered that sex in marriage actually doesn't live up to hype. Um, or isn't happening anymore for those who are widowed or divorced or in other context situations. And God wants us to see clearly that you're not missing out on the real life. Sex is just an imitation pointing to the real life. And it is good news for those who are enjoying sex in their marriage. Yes, the best possible sexual experience that you can have or have had, John says, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. Just remember it. It's a shadow. So if sex is just a shadow, think. Think about how much better the reality should be. I mean, it's hard for us to fathom, isn't it? But that's what we sh we're supposed to conclude. And that reality will be the experience for us all. Married, single, widowed, divorced, heterosexual, homosexual, for everyone. 
That means we all can start to put sex in the right context, in place, in here and now. We can stop our idolatry of sex, destroying ourselves and others. We don't have to live in FOMO, fear of missing out on sex anymore. Well, not, not to be fair that the world and Christians, they agree. They agree on only one thing regarding sex, and that is that sex is important and profound. Probably both will say the same thing. But because the reasons behind this statement are diametrically opposite, Christians should come to a completely different conclusion. Well, think about this. The world says that sex is important and profound. Why? Because of me. My pleasure my gratification, my fulfillment, my, my, my. So, of course, of course, the world will conclude and encourage and push even Christians saying, you're obliged to join in. Sex is important and profound, so you're obliged to join in. And friends, here is a, a word of warning to all who think they can have it all. You might remember 1 Corinthians 6 reading, um, verse 9 is a word of warning, warning. Listen, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. It is a genuine word of warning. The word, the word of God is very clear when it comes to living in sin. But I'm not saying it's easy. It's, I'm not saying it's easy to resist the thinking and pressures of the world. And I suppose we all have been on the receiving end of this abusive ideology, you must join in. Oh, you're missing out. You're not really living a fully human life. I mean, have we, have we not all been on the receiving end of this ideology? It has led so many young people in harming themselves by losing virginity way too early, often because of the peer pressure, they inflict self-harm because they haven't done it yet. And this is all because our culture keeps pushing the agenda that life without sex isn't worth living. It comes through Hollywood. It comes through media advertising and various other channels. And maybe you had been seduced by this ideology in past. You had been harmed or you had harmed another person and now live with guilt and pain because of the consequences that you experience. It may well be. And friends, the good news this morning is 
that if you do not justify any of that, but if you seek forgiveness, if you seek grace, if you seek help, it is always readily available to us in Jesus. All the time. Here is the word of grace for all who seek it. The same 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 this time. These amazing words. And such were some of you. Let me pause here. I didn't mention the context in which Paul was speaking in chapter 6. The problem was that the, the Corinth was very, very famous for... Um, uh, sexual promiscuity. You, you might remember that one Corinthians thing, but why was it such a big issue? Because the whole life revolved around the temple of, of um, you know, uh, great Ephesian Artemis. And the temple was the place where they dined, they were eating the, the, the food sacrificed to idols, and they basically straight away could get off the table and visit the temple prostitutes. And Christians, those who were coming from that background, it was so accustomed. You know, they were so accustomed. And Paul was really saying these things. Guys, you, you, were, you were living that life, but you don't have to do that because, because you were washed. Paul says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, some of you were like that, but not anymore. You were washed by Jesus, sanctified by his spirit. The blood of our dear and beloved Savior has cleansed you. Your soul and your track record in Jesus' eyes, you are not damaged good. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. Precious and pure. Drafted into his people. A bride made ready for the blissful wedding celebration in the new creation. Just think about how God, how Jesus views us as children. How much he loves us. How much he cares for us daily. So while sex is important and profound, as we already seen that, friends, we are not obliged to join in. As single Christians, you're not obliged to join in. Don't listen to the world. Listen to God. Sex is not ultimately about your earthly pleasures and fulfillment. I know it sounds crazy to the world, but we are meant to think clearly. Sex is important and profound because of Jesus. It trails the new creation. It points to the union with Jesus, to the fulfillment in him, and to the worship of him. If you grasp it, if you grasp this truth, it is a truly revolutionary idea. This heavenly reality changes everything. It changes how we think about ourselves, how we think about God, how we think about the world, how we think about values, the purpose in life. It changes everything. 
But of course, we must come back. We come must we 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 must come down from the the wonderful heavenly reality, from the the blissful real thing, the film that we all are going to be enjoying in the new creation. We must come down from a heaven now to the here and now because Jesus might not come back that soon. And if Jesus is not coming back anytime soon, we are living with our various temptations, aren't we? We are kind of stuck with them here on earth. So how do I deal with the many tempting here and now offers of sex? How do I deal with that? And both for married and singles. For everyone. How do I live with my sexual temptation? That's the second thing. Just think, how does knowing the right place and purpose of our sexuality help us live with our sexual feelings that so often bring death, so often bring mourning, crying and pain into our daily lives in the here and now. So how? If we're honest, it does feel like a heated battle for most of the time, doesn't it? We should not be, however, surprised about that, that it does feel like that. Just think again. If sexual faithfulness within marriage is meant to help us grasp God's faithfulness to us, of course the evil one wants us to have as much sexual unfaithfulness in marriage as possible. Of course that's what he's going to do. If sex in marriage is meant to be a trailer for the real thing, a union and difference between Christ and his people, then no wonder Satan wants us to feel free to shit things around as we want, as we prefer. And to do that without realizing or caring for the eternal consequences that it might bring. So what does the Bible say we should do about sexual temptation? And I think in two words, the Bible wants us to flee it. Now, let's, let's, let's turn again back to 1 Corinthians 6. And maybe you wandered away from it. 1 Corinthians 6, we read from verses 18. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. And he gives reasons. Let's read further. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual, um, uh, sexually immoral person sings against, sins sorry, against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know how we sometimes talk, and, it, and it, it's, it's a right talk, and we say, you know, all sin is sin. Of course, all sin is sin. 
in, in, in a bigger picture, God does not grade various sins. Come on, they all lead to death, right? Paul says in Romans. They all lead to death. But Paul seems to be suggesting that sexual sin is its he it's it's in its own category. Why? Because again, our body matter. Our bodies matter. Listen again, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So God really cares about your body, as opposed to a culture. Again, think, think for a moment without realizing it. People in our culture, secular culture, they have adapted this Gnostic, Gnostic worldview. Just a quick definition. Gnosticism is a second century heresy that views human soul essentially as good, but the human body as essentially bad. And so our culture, probably without realizing, has adapted that worldview, that mindset. So it is very much alive and kicking in the 21st century. Modern people, they divorce the soul, the inner, you know, the, your inner self from the body. So they say, it matters what you are on the inside. Your true authentic self has to be liberated from the repressive customs of the religious prison that your body is enslaved in. Do you, do you see, have you heard some of these ideas? And so that has led to a twisted understanding of the body. The fact, in fact, people in our culture actually live schizophrenic lives. Have you observed that? Regarding the body, people live somewhat schizophrenic lives. On the one hand, the body is worshipped. Beauty and fitness cult, it just has no limits. Kind of sky is the limit, right? But on the other hand, the body is treated as disposable. You know, have sex with whomever you want and how often you want it. So worshipped, disposable, it's schizophrenic. No strings attached, no hidden catch. You know, as Depeche Mode, these grandpas, <laughs> grandpas sang. But God really cares about your body. He created your body. Jesus paid a ransom for your body. He didn't ransom your soul. He ransomed your body too. Your body will be raised from the dead and transformed into new resurrection body like Christ's, just without all the marks. Perfect. That's why body matters, friends. But did you notice that I missed out on one important aspect about the body here and now? Look again at verse 8, 19, chapter 6. Because Jesus had bought us from, for himself, Jesus now owns us. He owns us and has come to live in us by his Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. 
Jesus has come to dwell in you by spirit. Isn't that amazing? And, and so in chapter 7, 7 of, of 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul addresses the married Christians about their bodies. Their, their bodies belong to each other. They can't say, you know what, I'm my own. No. Paul says, you've been thinking diff- wrongly. Your body belongs to your spouse. Therefore, they should give their bodies to each other in sex. They shouldn't um, hold back. And so sex itself is good. And it is not something to be afraid of. But it has its right place, right, right purpose. So the damage that the wrong use of it does to us means that we should run away from any sexual sin. Even spotting the temptation there, run now, I was reminded of the, of the dialogue in a police detective TV series. Um, it's called Blue Bloods. Um, so it's, it's about the whole kind of police family. It doesn't matter. The, the, the context doesn't matter so much. But this husband, he's a policeman. He was having a conversation with his female colleague, you know, a younger, a younger woman uh, who was really sort of hitting on him. And, and she went straight after him by asking a question. So here is the dialogue between the two. He's a married husband, a, a Christian husband, and she's um, a work colleague. So here, she, here it goes. What does your wife have that I don't? Or oh, isn't that a bold kind of arrogant approach and question? What does your wife have that I don't? To which he replied, me. <laughs> Love it. I mean, it's just, it's a brilliant line, isn't it? So what he was saying to her, I belong to another. My body belongs to another. And that's what you don't and can't have. Me. You can't have me. End of conversation. I mean, it's a brilliant example of fleeing it. You put an end to the conversation with one word. But here in chapter 6, Paul reminds us all that our bodies ultimately belong to God, all of us. Never forget the spiritual power of our bodies. What we do or don't do with them matters because we are not our own. When someone cries, my body, my rights we are meant to recognize a major spiritual battle in it. There are really only two options, two options, but neither of them implies that our bodies belong to us. So God created our bodies, but with the fall of man in sin, our bodies have transferred into the domain of darkness. Satan now owns our bodies. Well, I'm I'm speaking of our past, okay? Just picture, just remember that. Before we knew Jesus, came to Jesus, actually Satan owned our bodies. So only when we put our trust in Jesus and his ransom of our bodies too, 
Then we got transferred from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you now see why our bodies and everything around them is such a battlefield? We now belong, we belong to God, our bodies. We, whole of ourselves, we belong to God. But the evil one, the devil, is laying a siege to us to try to win us back. And sexual temptation is his weapon of choice, his first, his most brilliant weapon of choice. Are you experiencing any kind of sexual temptation? It's a wrong question, isn't it? It's in what way are you experiencing? To what degree are you experiencing? That would be most, the, the, the right question. So are you? Yes, you are. It's good. It's good that you're experiencing it because that is a sign that there's a battle going on, that you belong to God, that devil wants to have your body back. The fact that we experience sexual temptation is good. It's a sign that we are Christian. Just remember that anytime. Now, honestly, honestly, working on this sermon series has been one of the most spiritually difficult journeys for me. I think I had said to someone in the church already in the previous weeks. It's personally has been the most difficult of journeys. Just thinking about that, writing that, reading about that has been very hard. One, one night this week, I even had a nightmare that Madder and I are getting divorced can you imagine? I think, I think I had a panic attack in my dream. I literally thought that my life is ruined completely. In our 18 years of marriage, I have never had such a dream. And as I'm preaching for the first time, a series on sexuality, it's, it's there. So it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual battle for all of us. Of course, of course it is. In all this, we are trying to fight for our spiritual lives every day. We're trying to fight for our lives now and the future life of the gospel in our community. That's why it's such a spiritual battle. Are we actually going to continue being a Christian community that takes living in light of God's word seriously? That is a question that kind of this series continues asking, are we going to take this seriously, friends? So is there anything you can do to fight against sexual temptation and sin? Is there? And I think it goes without saying that our series, um, uh, our series purposes, uh, presupposes, sorry, that personal relationships with Jesus are there. It's kind of foundational. The personal relationships with Jesus is, is essential. But that also means that you don't have to fight on your own. Make use of the community. Make use of seeking accountability with your friends, within the community, within the church. And it might be that for, for those of us who are married, it's, 
it will be first of all our spouses. I think it's I think that would be ideal. There's but there's nothing wrong in being in seeking another trusted person, you know, of the same sex that can keep us in check, accountable. You know, working from an office or going on a business trip, are you? So let your spouse in on how you handle self-control. Um, let, let, let your spouse in on your browsing history and all these kind of things. And for those of us who are single Christians, foster, foster friendships in the church. Be proactive. Uh, seek building relationships with someone who can ask, who's allowed to ask these questions in your life. How is your, how is your battle with the, the sexual temptation? How are you doing? How are you handling it? How are you coping with it? And again, all the same questions. And that's why, that's why it is called a church family. Family cares, family supports, family helps make progress. Right, let me summarize, and, and then we'll pray shortly, and we're going to be very, very near uh, the Lord's Supper. Let me summarize this. Although sex is important and profound, it is a trailer for the new creation. And because you're not missing out on the real thing ultimately, you're not obliged to join in, as opposed to the culture's pressure. So flee sexual sin, even temptation. Jesus has washed you clean and is living in you by his spirit. You don't have to live like people of our culture do. Jesus loves you and is, is waiting for being reunited with his bride, his community. So that is where we seek accountability and help and all the rest of the things. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are a God who speaks uh, the words of warning and both words of wisdom because you want us to take you seriously and you take you for your word. And Father, thank you that you keep reminding us that this creation with many gifts in it and our sexuality included is just a foretaste of the blissful eternal union of Christ and his people. It's a wonderful, wonderful reality that we are point, being pointed to. But Father, we confess how hard it is often to live in this broken world with the pressures of our culture around us that says if you're not, if you're not in on sex, you're missing out. You're not reliving a fully, fully human life. So Father, please, please, Give us grace as we even think about it. Please remind us that we are made different, that we are washed by Jesus, cleansed by him. Our souls and our lives are washed and pure. And please grant us grace to persevere 
in fighting temptation, fleeing sin, seeking accountability and help. Father, we need your help and thank you for the church. Thank you for the church family. Thank you for friendships here and help us to be proactive in building them so that we can live as a true family of your people is supposed to, helping each other, supporting each other, and making together a progress. And thank you, Jesus, for the spirit that sustains us till the wonderful, wonderful day of your wedding feast. When pure and bright, without wrinkle, we are going to meet you in a wonderful, wonderful, blissful union. We give thanks and, and, and pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, maybe I, I forgot that we could have a Q&A, a, a short Q&A or so. Maybe you need a, a few seconds or a minute or so. I think last, last week we had um, yeah, a, quite a few questions. So maybe you were listening in to some of what's been said and you've been thinking, right, so not sure I understood. Or, well, how about this? Uh, why did the pastor not address this? Kind of. <laughs> yes, Annette. Uh, can you give um, give uh, the definition about the differences between idolatry and adultery in uh, in sexuality and give an example uh, to it? So idolatry and adultery. Yeah. Right. Um, Did you mention idolatry? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think, so biblically speaking, we read from 1 Corinthians 6, and that's where idolatry and adultery kind of is, is very concentrated in one. So um, let's say these Christian men that, that kind of, that were still being dragged in back into the Corinthian culture of hanging out with their mates, in the temple, you know, having a nice kind of meal and dinner, were on a sort of borderline of um, idolatry. So that's a pagan temple, a meat sacrifice to the idols, that kind of, it's, it's idolatry. So it's like uh, treating someone else. Yes, kind of, yeah, and kind of going, going back, falling back into that sort of pagan lifestyle. But, but then also kind of the whole flip side, the sexual kind of flip side of that coin, I mean, going with his mates, you know, straight seeing the prostitutes is both, again, idolatry and, of course, adultery. Um, uh, because they are, if they're married, clearly adultery. But even if they're not married, it's um, uh, adultery because they're sinning against Christ, against Christ's body. So they're sinning against their body the church body uh, and, and Christ. So, and I, I think from, from there, we can see, right, if it's so, so linked, so linked. And in the Old Testament, idolatry and sexual adultery is kind of, it's almost sort of, inter, it's interchangeable all the time as the, as the prophets address it. And I think it's not hard for us to see, right, it, it's the same with, with today. If, if, if Christians fall into that sin it's it's both 
it's idolatry, it's spiritual idolatry uh, and adultery uh, in, in, in quite a few levels, right? Uh, if they're married, it's against the wife and against the church body. It, um, yeah. Yes. Thanks. Marcy, yeah. Well, me and Anthony are very good friends, so uh, on that topic, uh, I have been kind of wondering uh, if I would, for instance, choose someone to get married to whenever I find, hopefully, someone. Would that be either? idolatry if I see marriage as a in the light of God basically well um, so the, the, for those who didn't hear the Marcy's question is if if you find if if you find someone you can marry and and we have to add in the Lord, right? A Christian, a Christian um, um, guy or girl. Um, is that, you say, adul adultery? Uh, idolatry? idolatry? Yes. Um, okay, so. Basically, uh, if I give an example, you and mother, uh, you're married. Yes. Does that mean that you value mother more than God? Oh, um, right. No, so, right. No, th this is, um, might be s slightly sort of over overcomplicating, a bit overthinking. No, um, uh, th there are, th you know, there are clear things. There are clear. So uh, if, if you, if, if sort of, if married, I mean, I can't even, pro I can't even formulate that thought. Sorry, reformulate it. it it kind of suggests that the Christian marriage in, is in danger or being idolatrous because I, I value my spouse more than God. I mean, it's, it's a sort of false dichotomy, isn't it? Because, um, because uh, marriage is, so the foundational truth of this series is marriage is um, God's institution. So that's his goodwill and purpose for people in this creation so that the, the man and woman should get married have children that's the sort of ideal picture so um so so no that's his good purpose that's not idolatry men and women loving themselves being faithful committed exclu in exclusive relationships for life that's god honoring because we, we are saying that the bible starts with marriage yeah. And it ends with marriage, but that's a marriage in this creation that kind of points to the, the marriage in the new creation. So it's, it's good. Yes. Perfect, thank you. And then I have ne a next question. The next question is this. Uh, how do you, as a Christian, I mean, I'm a new Christian, right? How do you, as a Christian, actually find a wife? No, no, I, 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 this is serious because it kind of, like, you really need to find someone, take the person out, and also, at the same time, you need to be very careful about everyone's image and yourself and the 
the fact that your body is God's temple and the other person's body is God's temple, it kind of, even before I became, became, became a Christian, it, it was what kind of made me never mm. fully right. So, so basically, Marcy's second question is, is, is how, how do you find a wife? How do you find a husband? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm not, I'm not ridiculing the question. It, it, I mean, because it doesn't particularly, well, it, it doesn't come out of the, the, this talk. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, Marcy, sorry. But the honest answer is I don't know how to do that. I, I don't even know how, how that happened. I mean... I don't know. It's um, it, it, it's a miracle, isn't it? it I confess. Yes. 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 So yes, um, let, let me just give you, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you the full sort of satisfying solution to it, but I was reminded of how, um, how, how messed up the whole kind of thing of, you know, sort of dating, going out, blah, 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 is in, in our culture, um, because I was reminded of, of dating really coming out of a divorce culture, the idea of dating is kind of coming out of divorce culture because biblically speaking, dating biblically speaking is, is not a, a thing from the Bible. A courtship, a courtship would be something that Bible recognizes. In the more traditional cultures, um, uh, we, you know, with the, the, the well-established family values, you would have a set rules of how two young people can see each other at all. Right. And I think there is some wisdom of it because it kind of helps. It helps the community, helps the young guys to really guard themselves. But the whole kind of dating culture and kind of two unmarried. I mean, when I see two unmarried Christians of the opposite sex going on an overseas trip, I see, right, it's going to be a, it's going to be messy. You, how I mean, how you're going to like, you know, Tenerife. Yeah, you it's it's a place, a Spanish island, whatever. Ah, okay. And I mean, it's it's crazy, isn't it? Why would two unmarried Christians of the opposite sex go alone? You know, but you know, when I see these pictures on Facebook, I just like, oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's not an example, um, and it's just so dangerous. You just so that, that's, that's an, a negative example, right? And I think courtship, which is non-existent in our culture here, I haven't really heard, that kind of family, that the two young people meet together, but they're never alone. They, they're, someone's always around. They can spend time together, but they are not, you know, they're not locked in somewhere. Anyways, so sorry, Marcy. A any more, let, let's, let's, let's do one more question. Any more questions? Maybe comment. I, and I'm not saying we got it right. You know, I'm not saying Madra and I got it com everything completely right. Uh, so, uh, but um, we, we, we tried to remain faithful, yeah. 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 Ye